This podcast is hosted by Dr. Happymon Jacob. Dr. Jacob is an associate professor of security studies at Jawaharlal Nehru University, New Delhi. His weekly column on India's national security and foreign policy issues is published by The Hindu. He is also the author of two new books on India-Pakistan border, Line on Fire by Oxford University Press and Line of Control by Penguin India. Hello and welcome to the National Security Conversation. Today the topic of our discussion is the current state of Indo-US relations. The twice postponed 2 plus 2 strategic dialogue between India and the United States is now most likely to be held in the first week of September this year. In the meantime, the United States has started putting a lot of pressure on India to rethink its relations with uh, uh, the Russian Federation and the Islamic Republic of Iran. Both Iran and Russia are significant um, strategic partners for India. Russia is one of India's biggest um, defense suppliers, whereas um, um, Iran is important for India's uh, uh, energy security. And yet, the United States continues to be India's most important strategic partner in the contemporary international system. Um, it is also uh, India's biggest trading partner um, in, in trades and um, services combined. Um, so this actually puts India in a dilemma and in a certain quandary uh, because India can't give up on its relationship with certain um, states in the Asian region and yet India has to continue this robust partnership with the United States. So how do we sort of deal with it? Uh, what are the variables that are going to uh, dictate the future trajectory of the Indo-US relations? To discuss this and more, I have with me in the studio Ambassador Mira Shanga. Uh, Ambassador Mira Shanga was India's ambassador to Germany and then to the United States of America. Uh, she is one of the most sober and insightful analysts of uh, uh, Indo-US relations. Ambassador Shanga, uh, welcome to the National Security Conversation. Uh, Ambassador Shankar, if I may um, um, start by asking you about the state of Indo-US relations, especially under the very unpredictable uh, Donald Trump administration. Well, I think initially there were two views in India about what the Trump administration would mean for India. One was given his emphasis on you know, transactional relationships. Right, right. Was this going to be a roller coaster ride and would he understand these strategic convergences which were bringing India and the United States together right. or give them any weight? The second view held by certain sections within India was that he was going to take a tougher stand. He was going to take a tougher stand on uh, terrorism, particularly, you know, uh, Islamic extremist groups right. and on Pakistan and that this would be in India's interest. So there were two divergent views, one welcoming the Trump administration, one somewhat anxious about what this was going to mean. Um, I think the relationship broadly came back on track. Uh, in the strategic field with visits by, you know, the National Security Advisor and the Secretary of State and so on. And uh, at the same time, uh, in recent months, trade tensions have increased. And as we've seen with uh, President Trump's overall trade agenda, which is strongly protectionist right. and playing to his domestic constituency. This is roiling not just India, which is affected 
you know, not so much because we don't export so much steel and aluminium. Mm -hmm. We are responsible for probably about 2% of US imports. But the closest US allies, including Europe, Canada, and Mexico. So the trade tensions could spill over into the broader relationship if we are unable to manage them. The other question which has come up in recent months is to what extent the US accepts that India is a strategic partner and not an ally. We have not sought an alliance with the US because as a developing country in Asia, sometimes our perspective can be different and we need that autonomous space to be able to fashion relationships with other countries. Now, this should not be so difficult for the US to understand because the US's relations with China, uh, which the US conducts without necessarily taking, you know, India into account all the right. time, or its relations with Pakistan or Afghanistan or other countries, the US conducts them with a view to promoting its own interests and not necessarily, you know, always taking India's concerns into account. So I think this was the basis uh, on which we built the strategic partnership. That it is in the overall interest of the two countries to come together because they have broadly converging interests in terms of managing the rise of China and ensuring a stable Asian balance uh, and uh, at the same time combating terrorism. But there are many other requirements that both countries have and they are free to pursue their relationships with other countries. Um, uh, and that space is available. Right. Uh, Ambassador Sangar, I'm, I'm sort of happy that you said um, in as many words about the, the sort of uh, Indo-US relations and the, and the background to the strategic partnership. You've been, you've been ambassador there. I, I think many people in India do not necessarily appreciate the complex nature of the Indo-US relations. It's not just about defense. It is not just about trade. Um, uh, the trade is really very high. There's a very, very robust defense partnership. There is the Indian diaspora there. And of course, this, this, the, uh, the global balancing at some level, um, and India probably requires the assistance of the United States, and, and the two sides share a lot of liberal values. Um, don't you therefore think that it's, it's far more complex than many people understand in a very yes. simplistic manner? Yes, it is a far more complex relationship because A, um, there are, we are bound together by so many factors. It's not just a government-to-government -government relationship. Right. It's a relationship which uh, is uh, people up because there's this huge diaspora with intimate links into the US system and to the Indian system. Uh, there's a robust economic partnership, a robust defense partnership, and perhaps it's the most dense relationship that we have with any country. But at the same time, we have to accept that the US is a great power which has multiple competing interests at any given time, which it seeks to balance. Also, that there is an asymmetry of power between India and the United States. And the third factor is that India 
as a developing country, a large developing country, which seeks to grow, has quite often divergent perspectives on many global issues. For instance, on trade, keeping open our options, you know, say uh, environment, it's an important issue, climate change. But at the same time, we don't want to do it in a way which, uh, you know, constrains our development imperative. So there will always be, there cannot be a situation where countries will see 100% eye to eye. And if they do, then it will be in an unequal relationship. That's, and, and there will be, given the complexity and the word that you use is the dense relationship that India has with the United States, there will be these pulls and pressures and, and New Delhi needs to learn to navigate those pulls and pressures. So in that context, Ambassador, what do you expect from the upcoming 2 plus 2 dialogue and what, what, are, what are likely to be some of the agenda items or even potential outcomes? I know that's sort of crystal ball glazing, but still, uh, gazing, but still. Um, well, I think, the, you know, earlier the strategic dialogue that we had with the U.S. was largely conducted between the Secretary of State and our foreign affairs, external affairs ministers. Right. And we brought in, you know, uh, ministers who were not really di uh, directly related to strategic issues like the Commerce Minister or the Minister of State for Science and Technology on a kind of as-is, where-is basis, very ad hoc. Right, right. In a sense, having a 2 plus 2 meeting is helpful from India's point of view because it excises the trade fictions to a separate forum Correct. and leaves you to deal with those while focusing on the strategic aspects of the relationship in this forum. And I think the focus should be on what the two countries can do together. And here we have a pretty broad agenda. You know, first of all, the uh, defense sector, as you said, is emerging as a major area of partnership. And uh, the defense, apart from direct arms purchases, India has been pursuing the defense technology and trade initiative, where we have been seeking to have joint uh, production, joint development, etc., of uh, technologies, key technologies. Now, some very marginal, you know, four pathfinder projects, as they said, had uh, been taken up, and some of them have got off the ground, but they are very small projects. And we have been discussing how to look at more ambitious ventures. The US has been offering vertical aircraft takeoff technologies we are seeking i think there were two groups you know which had been set up one on jet fighter technology jet engine technology and on um, uh, submarines and so on so uh, i think we should focus on how we can get more substantial projects under the defense technology and trade initiative uh, we have to focus on uh, our region the U.S. has just announced that it's ready to have direct talks with the Taliban, right, yeah. uh, which is a shift in U.S. policy. Uh, mm. And um, we have to see where it goes. But what would be important for us would be to ensure that there is close consultation between the U.S., Afghanistan and India throughout this process. Right, right. You know, sometimes India has said that you can't trust the Taliban, there's no good Taliban, there's no bad Taliban. But I think a realistic position would be to accept that the US yeah. is exhausted, yeah. 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 
that they have not been able to defeat the Taliban. And there's always this question which comes up, should we put good money after bad? So, so before so, I move on to my next question, do you think therefore India should uh, follow the American example and probably start opening uh, um, some dialogue process with the Taliban? Uh, well, that would be my personal view. I mean, my personal view would be that they are a political actor, but we should do it in a way which has the support of the Afghan government. I think that would be very important. It should not be seen to be undercutting the Afghan government. So you have to do it in a way with which the Afghan government would be comfortable. Now you have the red lines which were laid by the London conference, that there can be a dialogue with the Taliban, but the dialogue should involve <coughs> A, that they give up arms, B, that they accept democratic pluralism and uh, see that you know the gains made by the minorities you know women and right. ethnic groups and so on should be protected so i think within these three broad parameters yeah, sure. and depends which what weightage you give to yeah. each i think that uh, a dialogue perhaps may be the only way forward Sure, Ambassador. Um, you coming back to the defense sector. You mentioned uh, about the increase in the um, um, uh, defense closeness between the two sides. In, in fact, in, in 2016, um, India signed the uh, Logistics Exchange Memorandum of uh, Memorandum of Agreement with the United States um, to give access to uh, East Side's military facilities, etc. And, and there's something called the um, Communication and Information on Security Memorandum of Understanding, SISMOVA, um, on the cards, uh, which will uh, basically uh, mean that uh, many of the, many of the uh, military platforms that the Americans will sell to India uh, will have a certain um, high-end secure communication inbuilt. Uh, now, the Americans say that it is important for um, the, the, the uh, two sides to work together on, on defense and security issues, whereas there are fears in India about um, um, this, this sort of a closeness, especially with the Russian weapon systems uh, in play in India, and, and a lot of India's weapon systems are um, imported from Russia. Um, so, in, 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 in short, therefore, do you think that uh, this kind of a military closeness uh, between India and the United States is a good idea? See, I think India should move to a position where it tries to build up its own capabilities. Right. I'm a bit sad that we always say we are amongst the largest importers of arms in the world after so many years. And somewhere we have to find the political will to say, even if this is not the optimum system for the time being, we accept it. And like all companies, including Boeing, look at their Dreamliner. It's a civilian aircraft, constant glitches. And all the people who bought it, uh, you know, have had technical problems which they've ironed out and then they iron it out in the Mark II. There are hardly any new systems which you get which are without glitches. So our forces have to learn to accept for some time, provided it's sufficient to meet the challenge, yeah. you know, in our neighborhood, yeah. Yeah. that it may not be the best system they want, but they will live with it and we will work to iron out glitches in a subsequent model. Now, I don't see anybody summoning that political will as yet, unfortunately. Secondly, I think for India, it's important to have a good defense relationship with the US. They certainly have very good technology and they are an important partner in this field. But at the same time, I think it's important for India to retain the freedom of choice. Right. 
So we, in fact, that's why we have a multi-competitive bidding for many systems, so that we get what we think is the optimal, you know, whatever factors are taken into account, life cycle costs, costs of the original equipment, uh, transfer of technology, manufacturing in India, all these factors come into play. So I think it's important for India to retain that freedom of choice. And in that process, the US will be an important partner because they have really excellent technology. Right, right. And now they are willing to sell us better technology. As far as the agreements, what the US calls foundational agreements are concerned, they um, uh, you know, have been stressing on three, including Limoa, Sismoa, and there was one more, Beka. We have, after many years of examination and assessment, signed LIMOA, which is a logistics exchange memorandum of agreement, which means that either side can provide logistics help to the other. And there's an automatic way of adjusting that financially. Right. Uh, it doesn't mean that we are committed to provide in all circumstances. I'm told that it's on a case. They haven't uh, made the agreement uh, public, but going by what appeared in the press at that time, it was not an automatic uh, agreement. It was where India would retain the discretion to agree or not agree on a case-by-case -case basis. I'm not sure as yet that um, uh, we are ready to proceed with SISMOA. Uh, uh, I'm sure that all factors will be taken into account when uh, we assess uh, whether such an agreement is something we can go forward with. I think at the moment, it's important to assess also how LIMOA is working, what is the impact of that, and where the defense relationship is going overall. But in, in principle, would you say that it's probably not a good idea to put all our, all our eggs in one American basket in terms of defense requirement? Is I think that is important for India. That's what I said, that we have to have the choice of partners. Right. Right. We have been in a multi-vendor. We moved from a single vendor situation where Russia was our only supplier and occasionally the Europeans to a situation where we now have multi, you know, competitive bids from a number of players, Europe, the UK, America, and uh, Russia. Israel has emerged as a major defense partner, which was nowhere on the horizon in the past. So I think for India, we have to have that freedom of choice. And in that freedom of choice, the US will continue to remain an important partner. Russia will continue to remain an important partner. Israel will continue to remain an important partner. And you have to see what suits your requirement in which sector. Right. Um, Ambassador, the other issue of um, concern here in India is this um, uh, new American domestic law countering uh, America's adversaries through Sanctions Act. Um, now, the, the Americans seem to be putting a lot of pressure on India in order to abide by this particular act um, uh, and, and asked India in many ways to stop purchasing uh, the, the Russian um, S-400 uh, air defense systems. 
Um, is, 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 that, is that a good idea for India to sort of um, um, try and agree to that, um, that American diktat, as it were? Or should India say no to the United States? And, and same applies to actually uh, the American pressure on India vis-a-vis -vis, vis -vis Iran. Uh, Iran is a major on, partner. On the S-400, as far as I recall, the government has not said that they are going to comply with uh, the U.S. request. And uh, in fact, they sent a team to discuss why it was important for the U.S. If we are going to build a stable strategic balance in India, then, you know, totally kind of uh, eviscerating India's military capabilities because so much of our defense capability is still from Russian equipment. 60% of yeah. our defense capability. So, uh, so you know, uh, actually damaging our defense capabilities not in the U.S. interest. I mean, if we are really going to build a stable balance in India, then right. India has to be a more capable military partner. And in doing so, we have to have a good relationship with Russia because we have 60% of our equipment from Russia. The president has the power to give a waiver if he certifies that it is in the national interest of the United States. What is the role of the Congress in this? The Congress is, well, the, Congress is the one which has passed it, passed the law. The president was not in favor of it, as far as I understand. It was passed in August 17. Right. But once it was passed by the Congress, given the whole allegations of Russian meddling, the uh, incident with the nerve agent in the UK, the expulsion of the Russian diplomats. So in the mood, I think Trump went along and signed it. Right. Now right. that the US is seeking to re-engage with Russia, at least Trump is seeking to yeah. re-engage with Russia, I think uh, this is something which would be uh, quite inconsistent with the policy of re-engaging with Russia exactly. and also seeking to have India as a substantial partner uh, in Asia. How does it serve the US interest to undercut India's uh, defense capabilities. It doesn't. Right. And they have to understand our reality. You were India's ambassador in, in Washington, D.C. Is there, is there a complaint in the United States uh, that is often raised that Indians have hardly delivered anything uh, for the United States? Um, I mean, let's say, t take the example of the, um, the, the nuclear reactors. Um, no nuclear, American nuclear reactor has so far been purchased, uh, despite the fact that India got um, the American help in getting the um, exemption, etc., and, and the nuclear deals. Um, and, and this is despite the fact that India has now started buying a lot more weapons from the United States. But is there still a complaint in the United States that Indians have not delivered? We are only asking Americans to deliver and not doing it from our side. Well, I wouldn't say that is the case. Yes, on the nuclear side, uh, there was this perception. But President George Bush, who initiated the nuclear deal, I met him when he was no longer president. Uh, and uh, he said to me, it was never about uh, our India buying our nuclear plants. It was always to let India meet its energy needs through less polluting ways. So that was his perception as the key architect of the deal. The second fact is we have to understand that there were two companies, nuclear power companies in the US, large ones, I mean, who were in, a, in discussion with India. One was GE, right. the other was Westinghouse. Now, both had been bought out 
by Japanese companies. So it was GE Hitachi and Westinghouse Toshiba. And GE had a problem, so did they, because they would need actually an agreement with Japan before they could export anything to That's India. Good. And that agreement with Japan was a long time coming because there was so much nuclear sentiment within Japan. So the Japanese partners, and in fact the GE Hitachi deal, the Japanese side controlled all the nuclear uh, equipment. I mean, they were the ones, Hitachi brought the nuclear equipment. Exports would not have been possible without a deal with Japan. Westinghouse said they control the nuclear side and Japan will only supply the non-sensitive equipment. But this was always an issue. The second was, and this is important, there was a problem from the Indian side because of our liability law, which also impacted our own domestic uh, suppliers to the Atomic Energy Department until that was ironed out. In a way where companies felt comfortable to move ahead, things got stuck. And finally, and this is very important, cost is a key factor. You see, if we buy energy, which is say, like now, if you look at solar energy, we are getting tariffs of 2 rupees 50 per unit. And if you're going to buy at 20 rupees a unit, it just doesn't make commercial sense. I mean, at least it should be on par with the costs that we mm -hmm. broadly have domestically. So, and that was not the case. I mean, there was a willingness to have the discussions. Then the two sides were discussing how to bring down costs. And I think that could have happened with rapid indigenization and uh, production in India by players to the extent that we could. But I think um, Westinghouse has also gone going into bankruptcy or something. They've had a yeah, huge yeah. problem. So it's been, a, it's been a set of factors, not any one factor, right, which right. really has impinged on this. And in the meanwhile, you know, uh, renewables has become so important and we have substantial collaborations with the US in the field of renewables. Of course, China undercuts everybody because yeah. of their subsidies. But that's a field where we certainly are working together with the United States. And also, we are buying energy from the United States because that is something new. Uh, the US has a law where they have to, other than their allies, they need to give case by case permission for exports of energy and that they have given uh, for India recently. So we are now starting to purchase US energy and gas. So I think that in a sense, renewables and this will cover the field of energy because the nuclear um, energy doesn't, you know, in collaboration with the US because of a set of complicating factors doesn't seem to be going anywhere. The fact that uh, the Americans are asking the Indians to reduce the Iranian oil, I mean oil, oil, oil import from Iran to zero, um, is, that, is that a strategic decision or is that a commercial decision? Given the fact that the Americans have now started selling oil and gas to India in a big way. Um, so the, the, the recent visit of Nikki Haley to India and her sort of uh, um, hue and cry about Indians should reduce um, energy imports 
exports from Iran to zero. Is that is that a commercial decision, commercial argument, or is that a is that is that a, is that a strategic argument? How do you see it? I think it's a combination. It starts off overall by being strategic, because President Trump decided to walk out of the nuclear agreement with Iran and to go back to a policy of isolating Iran, which was the Obama administration's policy also before the nuclear deal was signed. Um, and the feeling that if they exert enough pressure uh, economically, then the Iranian regime could fall. Right. The, the, the question is, what would replace it? I mean, would it be a more liberal regime? Would it actually be a more fundamentalist regime? You know, would the Iranian Revolutionary Guards yeah. take over? Yeah. It's difficult to predict. And um, uh, so it, this is something different to Trump's own uh, um, agenda in his campaign when he said, you know, we are not in the business of regime change. So it's a combination of the two, I would say, starting off by being strategic and in the instance of individual countries, seeing how commercial advantage can also flow. Right. Um, you mentioned earlier about the, 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 the bonhomie between uh, uh, President Putin and President Trump. Um, and it, it looking at it from New Delhi, from India, to my, to my mind, this seems to be a great thing uh, that the two leaders are coming together, the traditional rivals, as it were, despite the public opinion being against uh, such, a, such a summit. We had the summit recently. How should India view it? Is that a good thing for India? Does it serve our strategic interests? Or is that, is that a momentary thing? India should not sort of jump into it and say, all right, we support it, whatever. How do you sort of view it? I don't think India's support matters in right. something like this. But yes, from India's point of view, it's a positive development. Because India has a special strategic partnership with Russia and a strategic partnership with America. And we would like to retain both relationships and develop them further to the extent that it is in our interest to do so. When tensions between the US and Russia exacerbate and there is a great deal of polarization, then there's pressure on India to choose, you know, um, one or the other. As you can see in Katsa, you know, countering American adversaries through Sanctions Act and so on. Now, if the relationship improves, I don't see, I mean, an immediate 100 degree change, but yes, it could move from a policy of trying to isolate Russia right. to at least, at least engaging on areas of mutual interest, such as, such as strategic stability, uh, countering terrorism, uh, looking at Syria, and so on. And if you see, actually, the response to the summit in the West has been largely focused on President Trump's, you know, uh, statement that uh, he didn't see any reason why Russia should meddle, seeming to give greater credence to Putin's denial than to his own intelligence agencies. But if you look at the joint press conference transcript, and you look at the transcripts of Putin's interview, there are discussions which have taken place which seem to signal a willingness to re-engage across a broad spectrum from strategic stability to uh, Syria, 
to countering terrorism, including in Syria, to uh, trying to stabilize the border with Israel in Syria. Uh, meaning, you know, yeah. probably Israel might accept consolidation by Syrian troops, provided Iranian deployments are kept out from near the border. So there are a range of areas where uh, they have uh, kind of agreed to re-engage, including on economic cooperation, where uh, Putin has suggested, or he says that both sides have agreed, to set up a council uh, with business entrepreneurs from both sides to discuss and come up with ideas. So it's not something substantive in terms of specific agreements, but it is substantive in terms of willingness to re-engage right. across a broad spectrum. Let's come to the question of China. Um, the Americans have been keenly desirous of um, countering the rise of China and, ha and have been sort of expressing its desire to enlist in India in its sort of endeavor to do so. Um, do you think India should get into that trap of, um, of, of um, trying to um, check the rise of uh, China um, so that it can have a more robust relationship with the United States? Is that, is that a good way of going about? See, I think, you know, to the extent that China uh, handles its relationship with India, in a manner in which India perceives a threat from China. Right. To that extent, you look for balancers. Right. And that balance comes from having a stronger relationship with the United States and with key regional countries who are on China's periphery, such as Japan or Vietnam or Australia. Uh, I think one thing we have to understand that both India and the United States uh, have a complex relationship with China. It is That's not true. one of pure confrontation. In fact, I, it is one of engagement as well as competition. And in the case of the United States, strategic competition is sharpening, economic competition is sharpening, but they still see China as their most important global interlocutor and they continue to have a good relationship with China. In fact, President Trump is on record saying that the days that he spent with Xi uh, in the summit were amongst the best in his life. So <laughs> But, but, but India's, India's sort of reactions or India's policy towards China should be dictated by our own strategic interests yes, and, and not uh, um, by, the, by the American uh, strategic interests. To the extent that our interests converge, we should work together. And to the extent that we see that uh, there is need for, uh, you know, uh, a more uh, nuanced approach, I think we need to, to do that. And a lot, as I said, will depend on how China conducts its relationships with the rest of Asia. If it is perceived as seeking a hegemonic relationship in Asia, other countries will naturally try to get together to create a counterbalance. Right. That's in the nature of international relations. Ambassador, you mentioned earlier on about US-Pakistan relations. Um, 
Many people in India think that the current freeze in the US-Pakistan relations is probably good for India. Is that really so? Because the more, if there is a gulf between, say, Islamabad and uh, Washington, D.C., um, the, the, the space for China to influence uh, politics in Pakistan will increase. And, and this will then mean that India's ability to influence Pakistan via Washington, D.C. is going to be a lot more limited. Uh, how do you sort of see the freeze um, in, the, in the U.S.-Pakistan relations? It's not yet frozen as far as I can see. They still have aid which they are giving to Pakistan. They have frozen or suspended. In the, yeah, they have suspended certain elements of the aid package. Uh, and I've seen in the past that if Pakistan then begins to work with the US, they uh, reinstate some of it. Say, you know, after the Osama bin Laden raid. Initially, the US was handling it quite gingerly, not wanting to put Pakistan on the mat. Uh, subsequently, when Pakistan went on a high nationalistic pitch against the US for having, you know, come into their territory uh, the, and then they took a number of steps to close down the intelligence posts in FATA and so on, that the US then suspended about seven or eight hundred million dollars of military assistance. Once the Pakistanis started cooperating with the Americans, this was restored. Though with President Donald Trump being, you know, um, an economic protectionist, aid may not reach those levels. Um, I don't see as yet that the U.S. has completely frozen or cut relations with Pakistan. Secondly, I do agree that it is not in India's interest to have Pakistan completely in China's strategic lap. Right. Because then it means that Pakistan's ability to uh, create any space for itself uh, outside China's influence becomes limited and American influence in Pakistan also comes down. Here is my last question, and this is a what next question. Uh, we are, the, the contemporary international system is witnessing the rise of China the return of Russia to the geopolitical scheme of things, certainly in Asia, um, and, and, and the co-seeing um, up among, say, Russia, China, and Pakistan, and the sort of withdrawal of the United States in many ways from the international system. So what should India's balancing strategy be? Um, should, a lot of people argue that uh, India should probably go back to the non-alignment days. Some people talk about multi-alignment. In your opinion, what should India do in order to navigate the troubled waters of contemporary international system? I think that it has to be nimble and it has to be flexible and it has to have good relations with the United States, with Europe and with Russia and manage its relationships with China in a way which is non-confrontational and gives you the space to develop. Because if you look at India's priority, what should our priority be for the next 20 years? It has to be internal development, economic development within India, where we are really still lagging behind. Now, if we continue to grow and we are able to handle our social problems, then I think we would, you know, within a decade or two, be in a much stronger position. Right now, I think you really need peace on your periphery 
you need peace in the larger Asian region and you need to focus on your own economic development, your national and social cohesion. I think both are important. If you're, a, if you're a society or polity at odds with itself and riven with social tensions, even your economic development gets affected, how you are perceived globally gets impacted. So I think we have enough domestic challenges to keep us occupied <laughs> gainfully <laughs> for the next decades without uh, adventurisms overseas. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you like this podcast, please rate and follow us. For regular updates, you can also follow our Twitter handle NSC with HJ or our Facebook page National Security Conversations with Happy Mon Jacob.